0: Got a couple of things I want to do before I get into the message tonight. One, I just want to give a shout-out to Paul Johansson, who's watching online with us. You've heard me reference him before. He's one of the patriarchs of Elam Fellowship, which is the group that we align with as a church. He had his 85th birthday this week. Come on, 85th birthday this week. Pastor Paul, you are a true treasure and a gift to all of us. And so we just want to say happy birthday to you. Hey, we have another uh, an anniversary, a work anniversary. Uh, Pastor David Godwin, who uh, was out of breath from worshiping a few minutes ago. That's so good. It's so true, isn't it? If you forget, you're in trouble. I have to remember that right before I'm coming up. I, I got to slow down here. I got to get up there and talk in a minute. And uh, so he's us uh, celebrating five year five on on staff with us this January. Year five. But he's been a part of the church from the very beginning. He was part of the plant team that came out of Williamsburg. And so I have a card for Pastor David, but I also have a word for you. I was reading this morning, and uh, this is the 20 Genesis 27.9. Let me read this to you. This is the story of, of, uh, of, of Jacob and, and Esau, Genesis 27.9. And uh, this is where... Jacob's mom becomes complicit in the betrayal, right? It says go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. And as I was reading this verse, I had this thought for David. A proverb came to me out of this text is that we are not supposed to find in the flock what we're supposed to fight for in the in the forest. We're not supposed to find in the flock what we're supposed to fight for in the forest, mean, meaning that don't take the easy way out. There, there's things in this life that are worth fighting for that, that are hard, and, uh, and I just had such a sense. I just wanted to say thank you to you, David, for, for being a man of God, a father and a husband who's willing to fight in the forest and to not take the easy way out, fighting for our youth, fighting for the next generation. And uh, so thank you. Come on, say thank you to Pastor David one more time. Fighting in the forest, we can get him a, some swag, fighting in the forest, I like it, we were joking with Pastor Justin, through texting, he was in the video announcements, I that, that really fancy font, right, the older I get, I can't read stuff like that anymore, it might as well just be in Latin, is that Amanda laughing up there, yeah, well, you too, right? I leaned over to Vanessa, and I said, what, what, what does that say? I think, it's, I think it says, keep smelling. Does it say keep smelling? She said, no, it says keep smiling, keep smiling. I texted him, and he said, at least you didn't think it said keep sinning. Keep sinning. So, praise the Lord. Hey, I want to share this, and then I'm going to get into a message is in response to what happened this week at the Capitol. I posted this on my Facebook page, but... I, I sent it to the elders and some other the key leaders, and, and I said, hey, I, w- I want to read this just as a response from, from the eldership. And they said, absolutely. Because uh, I think it's, it, there's times, right, as a church, we're, we're called to stand and pray. And, uh, and I think we're in that place as a nation. This, this is what I wrote this week. Again, if you follow me on Facebook... You've already seen this, but it says, what you are seeing play out right now at the Capitol is the rage and fear of people who don't understand that the future and the history of this nation that is yet to be made manifest has never been at risk because it is safely held in the hands of a sovereign God. This is yet another reason why the heart cry of the church, not just this church, but the church throughout the world, must be to reach the lost with the only news that saves, and that's the good news of the gospel. There is only one kingdom that should hold our ultimate allegiance, and that is the kingdom of heaven. Today's lawlessness in D.C. is shameful and is a manifestation of the desperately lost nature of humanity. My heart breaks today for our nation and our world. Those who have their hope in Jesus never lose heart because of the failings of earthly kingdoms. Our citizenship is in a kingdom that is coming, and Jesus says it is one that is near. May we take up the mandate to be Jesus' ambassadors. Blessed are those who bring good news. Light a fire in us, O God. Light an evangelistic fire in our hearts. Help us to remember that these temporal kingdoms, these temporal worlds, they were made for one reason and one reason only, to create a context for us to find you. Help us to not be distracted in this journey. Help us. Those of us who have been found by you, help us to not be distracted by these temporal things. Help us to keep our eyes on the cross and our eyes on the commission that you have given us to bring good news. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said amen. amen. We're starting a new series tonight called Me and Mine. Me and Mine. We're going to be in it for, I think, about three weeks. It might spill over into February. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Usually the, the last weekend for us in January. That's our anniversary service. So I I like to use that to really cast some vision for the year that is to come and I'm excited about what I feel like God is speaking to our heart for twenty twenty one. And so this is just again a little three week series, but again it might spill over into into February. We'll see. As I was writing this and studying for this, I was just struck by just the, the Christian language that we use, this, this idea of being a follower of Jesus. It's, it's part of the, the way that we communicate with each other, and we're trying to ask a question, if, if, does, does someone believe in Christ? Have they made a vow of devotion to Christ? It's kind of the, the vernacular of the church is, are you a Jesus follower? Are they a Jesus follower? And the reason we use that language is because that's the language that Jesus used in his day, speaking of himself. In Matthew 4:19, it says, Jesus called out to them and said, Come, follow me, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. We see it again in Matthew 16, 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, my follower, you must give up your own way and take up the cross and follow me. John 10, 27 reads this way, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. They follow me. See, the expectation here from Jesus is that we fully follow. And what we find in our own lives, and I think what you find in your own life and in other people's lives that you you know, is that, that we compartmentalize. Do we not? And there's parts of us that are following Jesus more closely than other parts of us. We're, we're kind of like a field trip. Anybody ever been a chaperone on a field trip? There's always those few kids. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's your kids. Sometimes it's you, the chaperone. Right? Where, where, where are they? Because they're, they're not following at the same pace as everyone else. This, this, is, this, this is our lives. Does your work ethic follow Jesus fully? Does your attitude follow Jesus fully? Does your sexuality follow Jesus fully? Does your marriage follow Jesus fully? If you're not sure, ask your spouse. She'll tell you. Does your parenting follow Jesus fully? You you, you get, you get what I'm saying here? We compartmentalize. Parts of us are close. Parts of us are far away. This is this journey of discipleship. It's getting all the parts of who we are to decompartmentalize our following and get and all of us get right up there on His heels together. Does your money follow Jesus fully? We could keep going with that list. The question is, do all these parts of us rise to the excellence of Jesus Christ? Because that's what it means to follow him. Are we catching up to his example? I'm going to be focusing on money in this series over these next few weeks. I always like to talk a little bit about money at the beginning of the year because many people are doing budgets and planning. It just it's it's suitable. We try to talk about money and giving just a couple of times a year here. If that's upsetting to you, you should be glad we don't talk about it as much as Jesus did. Because he talked about money more than he talked about anything else. And if you didn't know that, that's because you're not reading the Bible. Because that part of you is not following Jesus fully. Just saying. Just saying. Following Jesus has never been just about the acceptance of something true. Although it is, but it's not just that. Following Jesus has always been about the submission of all of me to all of Him. Let me read that again. Following Jesus has always been about the submission of all of me to all of Him. It's time for us to say to parts of ourselves, catch up. As you're moving into 2021, you should be thinking about things that aren't following Jesus as closely as... This is the year to say to parts of you, it's time to catch up time to catch up and if your money and your finances and your giving and your stewardship is not on the heels of Jesus then let's make 2021 the year where that part of you caught up to Jesus and his plan for his things that he entrusted to you me and mine somebody say me and mine If the parts of you that are lagging behind do not catch up, eventually they will convince more of you to lag behind. And eventually, and eventually, all of you will begin to move in the wrong direction. I believe this is why money sin is so dangerous. We tolerate its lack of pace in following Jesus. For many Christians, it's the last piece to catch up. And if it never catches up, what happens is, is it begins to pull against the rest of who you are. Yeah. Until it's not just back there alone anymore. Yeah. See, we tolerate its lack of pace in following Jesus, and we fail to realize how contagious its rebellion can be. That's why the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, it's one of the last ones to catch up. It takes root in its rebellion. And that rebellion is contagious. See, this idea of me and mine is at the heart of every part of you that lags behind. See, at the end of the day, every part of you that lags behind, whether it's the list that I shared with you or the list that was running in your head, parts of you that you know are lagging behind, the reason it lags behind is because of this feeling, this sentiment of me and mine. Because we want to do it our way. We want to do it our way. See, every part of our life, in reference to what the Bible expects of us, the gap between can be measured by the sentiment of me and mine. The more entrenched the feeling of me and mine is in you in a certain area of life will determine how far that part of you lags behind. Over the last few weeks, I've been studying in Revelation 17, three through six. I'm gonna read this to you. I'm not gonna read the whole chapter to you. The imagery of Revelation is troubling. And no matter how you choose to interpret it, it should be troubling. Whether you believe that these are real descriptions of real pictures of things that are going to happen or things that have happened, or if you believe that they're just kind of like metaphors of things that are going to happen or have happened, it still should be troubling. Because if the metaphor is dark and ugly and evil and vulgar, guess what metaphors do? They're supposed to represent something. So if the Holy Spirit gives a metaphor, if you believe that they're not real, they're just metaphors, at the end of the day, it's a metaphor for something that's evil and ugly and disturbing. Revelation 17, 3 through 6. If your kids are in here, they're going to have bad dreams. I'm sorry. So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten hordes, and blasphemies against God were written all over it. You're like, what on earth is this going to have to do with giving? More than you wish it did. That's what I'm going to tell you. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. And in her hand, listen to what it says. She held a gold goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. What a picture. A mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. Listen to what it says. I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's people who were witnesses for Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. Unbelievable. If you've never read in Revelation, just, just, just pick up in 17 and, and start reading through. Just pick up in 17 right there. Now let me give you some definitions, if I might. Some of this comes out of the Expositor's Bible Commentary. I use that almost exclusively. I like it because it just doesn't give its perspective and point of view. It gives competing perspectives and points of view, which I like. And one of the things I challenge you to do in this life in general. Don't just live in an echo chamber. And then some of these are my interpretations. This first one comes out of the Expositor's Bible Commentary. Babylon is not a city. It's not a geographical place. It it is, but it's not that here. Babylon is the archetypal head of all entrenched worldly resistance to God and his sovereignty. It it represents everything in this world that stands against God. The total culture of the world apart from God, at its essence, you know what that is? It's me and mine. The prostitute, this is my own own, own interpretation, the prostitute represents all the people of the world who are collectively drunk on all things that oppose God's will. The prostitute is the personification of the collective me and mine of all people. It is the antithesis of Jesus' message, because Jesus' message is to die to self. Now you might say, Fred, I thought it said that the cup that, that the prostitute is drinking from is the blood of the saints. Isn't that martyrs? It is in part, but that's not all that it represents. See, because the blood of the saints is not just the martyrs, it is representative of the death of the message of Jesus, which is to die to self. The kings are political leaders who promise to give the people whatever they want in exchange for political power. See, the prostitute, the people of the world, acquiesces because the desire of me and mine feels irresistible. You see the interplay here. See, the the prostitute representing all the people of the world and this feeling of of I want what I want when I want it, all of the kings give what the people want so that the people will give what they want in turn, which is power. Then, if you continue to read, you find that they become at odds with each other. Why is that? Because if what you're searching for is your way and me and mine, eventually you're at odds with everyone else because they can't have their way and you have your way at the same time. Eventually there's conflict. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because the sentiment of the kingdom of heaven is to die to self and to be others-minded. And there's never a conflict with that because you're constantly laying your life down for others and other people are laying their lives down for you. The beast is Satan, clearly. All throughout Revelation, the beast is always Satan. Again, the three ultimately despise one another because self ultimately sees everyone else as an enemy because at some point, they have to give their way to serve the way of others. Now here in Revelation 17, it talks also about seven hills and seven mountains. There's a schematic that's going to come. We could do a whole series on this. We will one day. But I just want to allude to it here for a moment. It especially speaks to one of the things that we're struggling with in the church in America today. The seven hills and the seven mountains represent the domains of influence in society. And the kings, they seek to exercise their power through them. But again, they depend on the prostitutes' collective permission. They are religion, family, education, government, media, arts, and business. Let me read it again. Religion, family, education, government, media, arts, and businesses. Different teachings, different scholars have different lists. Some are a little bit less, some are a little bit more, but they're all communicating the same sentiment. There are domains of influence in society, in the world. Listen to Isaiah 2.2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house. You see, the language of the Bible always confirms itself. The mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. The most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. It's powerful, isn't it? This is why Christian nationalism is such an affront to the sovereignty of God. Because it takes the mountain of the Lord and it makes it a smaller hill. Christian nationalism is an an affront to the sovereignty of God because it takes the mountain of the Lord and it tries to put him in a smaller hill. Can, can, can Can you have allegiance to your country? Sure you can. But just realize that's a small hill compared to the mountain of the Lord. Can you be a patriot? I hope that you are. But understand that that mountain is smaller than the mountain of the Lord. Every time you tolerate a part of you falling behind, you are taking, listen to me, you are taking a sip from the cup of me and mine. Every time. We let part of us lag behind. Every time we give permission to that part of us to stay behind, you're drinking the cup with the prostitute of Revelation 17. You might say, well, Fred, that's a little over the top. Well, you can take that up with Jesus because this is his book. It is striking, is it not? Hey, I'm preaching to myself tonight. We all struggle with complacency. But can I just tell you one of the things that shake us out of complacency is the sobriety of the truth of God's word. And God is not given to hyperbole. And these pictures and these images in here are vulgar. They are violent. They are detestable. And God says, yeah, because that's what you look like. And I want you to see yourself in a mirror. Every time you tolerate a part of you falling behind, you are taking, I am taking, you are taking, taking together a sip from the cup of me and mine, the intoxicating pleasures of self-indulgence. Somebody say your money. So let me ask you plainly, does your money follow Jesus fully? Does your money follow Jesus fully? I'm 53. Who's old in here like me? See, when I... David's laughing over there. See, something changed. Something has changed in youth culture. Because the shoes that they wear cost about $8,000. But see, when I was coming along... Shoes didn't cost that much. And so you know what we did? Middle school, high school, you gave each other flats. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, but I was just like, no. She says that really loud because she wants to remind you that she's seven years younger than I am. Yeah. Giving somebody as a flat is when you get so close to them you step on their heel, the back of their shoe and it makes the, their foot come out of their shoe. Anybody else grow up doing that in high school other than me? Uh, thank you, thank you. Now you can't do that today or you might get murdered because you scuffed up a $1,000 shoe. You can call them basketball shoes all you want, but we all know they're tennis shoes. Spelled T-E-N-N-A, tennis shoes. But that's what we did for fun. We didn't have video games. We just gave each other flats. Are you following Jesus close enough to give him flat? with your money? Are you in a shadow? The other thing we do, I'm having fun reminiscing. If you get close enough to somebody, when they take their step, you can kick them at the bottom of their foot and their leg goes way up in the air. You ever done that, right? I know. These are fun things that we do. We have nothing else to do. Yeah? Yeah? Are you close enough to Jesus to be under his feet? Under his feet. Does your money follow Jesus fully? Fully. See, I think sometimes, myself included, we're content that the parts of us are just on the path with Jesus. But that's not what following means following doesn't mean just moving in the same direction it means walking with walking with Revelation 19:5 reads this way And from the throne came a voice that said Praise our God all his servants who fear him from the least to the greatest Praise our God, all his servants who fear him from the least to the greatest. My Bible plan in 2020 you know, had me finishing out in Revelation. As, and as I was reading that last year, I, I, I saw in here these are three great, great questions to know whether or not you're following Jesus with certain parts of your life. I'm, we're, again, we're using money because that's what we're talking about. Does your money praise Jesus? Does your money serve Jesus? And does your money fear Jesus? Again, you can put anything in here. Does your marriage praise Jesus? Does your marriage serve Jesus? And does your marriage fear Jesus? Does your parenting praise Jesus? Does your parenting serve? Does it fear? These are three great questions you can apply to any part of your life to know whether or not you're following. Not just moving in there, but are you following? Close enough to give him a flat. See, does your money praise Jesus? Does your money praise Jesus? I'm not going to go there for sake of time, but 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7, it's a famous text in the Bible that talks about being a, God loves a cheerful giver. This is part of what it means to follow Jesus with your money or any other part of it. He doesn't want you to do it begrudgingly out of obligation. He wants you to do it because you're excited about it. Does your money praise Jesus? I love Psalm 122. One through four talks about people going to the house of God for worship. Going to the house of God for worship. Now, when we think about going to God's house for church, we call it church, think about all the things that we expect that we're going to do when we get there. We're going to do some singing because that's part of being at church. That's part of what it means to worship the Lord. We we understand that. We want to sing some songs. We're going to hear a sermon. We want to study God's word. We're going to pray. There are things that we do collectively that we understand this is part of what it means to worship the Lord together. We serve one another. We minister to one another. We care for one another. We help one another. All the things that we do when we gather together. You know what else we're supposed to do when we gather together? We're supposed to give with one another. We're supposed to give with one another. One of the reasons why people... When Psalm 122 was written, went to the temple for praise and for worship is because part of, of, of their idea of worship was giving of their finances. You, when you read in Psalms and it talks about, I was glad when they said it to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, they weren't just talking about singing a song. They were talking about all the things that the Mosaic Law required of them. And giving was part of it. See, one of the ways your giving follows Jesus is that it is worshipful. It's worshipful. It is, it is a song unto itself. Mark 12. 41 to 44. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. I, right, these are my dad jokes. I always, every year, I read that verse. And people say they want to be a part of a New Testament church. They they don't. They don't want to be a part of the New Testament church. Because if 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 you're a part of the New Testament church, that means there would be somebody watching what everybody puts into the offering. Yeah, you don't want to be a part of the New Testament church. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, see, the New Testament church. So now there not only really is just Jesus watching what everybody puts in, Jesus is giving commentary publicly what everybody's putting in and now he's calling other people to talk about what everybody's giving. You wanna to go to that church? Yeah, I know. I tell you the truth, the poor widow has given more than all of the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. See, part of what makes giving worshipful is not the amount that is given. It's the manner in which you offer it. Does your money praise Jesus? Psalm 66, one through four Shout joyful praises to God all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. Say to God how awesome are your deeds. Your enemies cringe before your mighty power. Everything on earth will worship you. They will sing you praises, shouting your name in glorious songs. What kind of song is your giving right now? What kind of song are you singing with your giving? Is it a vacation Bible school song? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Now that's a great start. But, it, but at some point, our giving is supposed to sound a lot like J.J. Hairston. Hold nothing back. Not holding back. All right? Not holding back. I know, they're laughing because I didn't even know who J.J. J. Hairston was this week until Friday. I know, because I'm old and white. But I'm trying. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Now, you might not know this, but Chris House is on this album. Yeah. I'm just asking you, I'm just asking you, what does your giving sound like? What kind of song of praise does your giving sound like? Because it's supposed to sound like Psalm 66 it's supposed to be loud and boisterous and cheerful and distracting. And distracting. Does your money praise Jesus? Psalm 150. Towards the end of the Psalms, there's, there, there, it's just again and again and again just talks about this idea of psalmic worship. Have you ever thought about applying all of that not just to your singing, but to your giving? Because that's what God wants us to do. So let me ask you plainly, again, does your money follow Jesus fully? Does your money serve Jesus? Does your money serve Jesus? Luke 17, seven through 10, when a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in, eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, serve me while I eat, then you can eat later. Does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Now why is this important? Because once our giving rises to the place of a Psalm 150 worship, we risk our attitude becoming such as, look at me and how wonderful my giving has become. We 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 become the Nebuchadnezzars of the world. Let there be a statue built unto me, so people can see how generous I have become. God says, No, 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 no. See this idea of my money praising Jesus is—it's just our, our reasonable act of service. It, it's not about us getting accolades. It's not—it's not about us being renowned. Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's just what it means to serve me with your money is that it should be a song of praise. Psalm 24, one through three, this is why. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him for he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean's depth. Who may climb to the mountain of the Lord? That's another reference to the mountain. Who may stand in his holy place? What, what, is, what is this? This is an important verse for us. It reminds us that what we're giving doesn't even belong to us to begin with because it's all his. It's all his. We're being generous to God with his money. Does your money serve Jesus? I'm not going to go there again for the sake of time, but you can download these notes always every week. Matthew 21, 33 to 46 is the parable of the evil farmers. It's the people that come and, and, and lease a vineyard from the person that owns it all. And then when they produce the crop, as was the arrangement, how it worked back in Jesus' day, is that the landowner would come and take a portion of the crop because the land belonged to to the landowner the evil farmers they say why should we give him his share they actually kill the people right and you can read it for yourself are you a matthew 21 33 46 kind of person when it comes to your resources have you developed an attitude that belongs to me all that we have belongs to him All that we have belongs to Him. Our reasonable act of service when it comes to our money following Jesus is that we give like a Psalm 150 praise. Does your money fear Jesus? This is important. Does your money fear Jesus? The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. We did a sermon series at the, beginning of the, uh, at the beginning of the fall called Apolitikos, talking about the fear of the Lord. If you didn't hear that, you should go back and listen to it. There is such a thing as a healthy fear. And if we're walking in disobedience, there should be part of us that is afraid. Part of the reason why we should be afraid, I'm not gonna reteach that series, but part of the reason why we should be afraid is because what I'm teaching you tonight, when you allow a part of you to lag behind, eventually more of you is gonna lag behind and eventually you'll begin to live in the wrong direction completely with all of who you are. And that that should cause a healthy fear inside of you. A healthy fear inside of you. Acts 5, 1-11, through 11. again, I'm not going to go there for the sake of time. Acts 5, 1-11 is the story of Ananias and Sapphira lied at the altar with their giving. God struck them dead right there in church. See, I t- I'm telling you, you do not want to go to the New Testament church. Why did God do that at the birthing of the church? He did that at the birthing of the church because of what we're talking about tonight. Because he wanted people to understand how dangerous it is dangerous it is to drink from the cup of me and mine it's a dangerous brew you see this idea of praise and serve and fear they build on each other one of the ways i ensure that my money is following jesus is to serve him with my money as i give worshipfully to him fearing how depraved my soul will eventually become if i allow my money to lag behind dangerously sipping from the intoxicating cup of me and mine with the prostitute who sits on the beast in service of the kings who seek influence through the mountains. You want to be a part of that story? I don't want to be a part of that story. So let me ask you plainly, does your money follow Jesus fully? Fully. Does your money praise him? Does your money serve him? Does your money fear him? This is a modern day painting of Revelation 17. It's ugly, isn't it? It's ugly. Every time you tolerate a part of you falling behind, you are taking a sip from that cup with that prostitute. I put it up there because I want you to see it. God wrote about it because he wants us to see it. He wants us to have an image in our head that gives us pause when the temptation of compromise comes along. Is that, is that what you want the portrait of your spiritual life to be? you got to choose a side, people. At some point in this life, a righteous indignation has to rise up inside of you, and you have to decide whose side you're going to be on because there are only two. There is this portrait, and then there is the portrait of Jesus on the cross. Those are our only two choices. That's it. That's it. So in Joshua 24, 14 to 15, reads this way. I'll close with this. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Serve him alone. It doesn't mean by yourself. It means only serve him. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? That's the gods of the me and mine. Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, the gods of me and mine? But come on, here it is. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Will you follow him with me. Every part of who you are. Every part of who you are. Praise him, serve him, fear him. Stand with me. I'm going to close in prayer in just a minute. I just want to remind you what we're doing here for the foreseeable future is that at the end of every service, we wanna be able to minister to people in prayer, and so those of us that will be at the front, we'll have our masks on. If you come for prayer, we would ask that you keep your mask on as well. But during the time of prayer, which will be for the next 10 minutes or so, that uh, if you choose to remain in here, we would ask that you respect what we're trying to do. I know you might have some people that you want to talk to and see, but if you could do that in the foyer, we would, we would appreciate that. Because, and if you choose to stay in here, that's fine, but you, you've got to maintain an attitude of worship and prayer. You might come to kneel at the altar. You might just choose to sit and reflect, reflect quietly where you are. But we would just ask that you respect the space. Amen? Father, I pray. For all of us here tonight, we are born into this world, me and mine kind of people, flawed, broken, with a rebellious nature. But part of this journey that you've invited us onto with you, Jesus, and following you, is to learn how to move away from me and mine into a place of you and yours. We want to live a you and yours life. A you and yours life. I pray that this would be a year of sobriety for people in 2021. For everybody who calls City Life Church their home. For the people that are watching online, I I pray that you would right now give them a vision of a year of sobriety in 2021. That all the parts of them that are drinking from the intoxicating cup of me and mine, that they're going to lay it down. And they're going to pick up a new cup. They're going to pick up a new goblet. The new covenant of a life in full devotion to you Jesus a you and yours kind of existence may it be that 2021 is going to be the, the year where all the parts of us they catch up they catch up no matter how far it's lagging behind it's going to catch up That we're not going to slow down but it's going to catch up We're we're not going to take the rest of us and start moving slower. The rest of us is going to catch up. Jesus, to your pace, following your direction, with our money and everything else, praise you, serve you, fear you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, come on, everybody, sit together. Amen. We'll see you next week. If you want prayer, you come. We'll be here.